Um, hello, my name's Iggy Tan. I'm the uh, Managing Director of Alltech Chemicals. Uh, and we've got a very exciting project in uh, Europe, uh, virtually Saxony and Germany, where we're actually cracked the uh, silicon code. Uh, companies have been trying to resolve the problem with incorporating silicon in the anodes of lithium ion batteries. Uh, we've cracked that silicon code. We've allowed uh, silicon to be incorporated in graphite which uh, last year we announced a 30% higher energy density battery, uh, which will be a game changer for the lithium ion battery industry. And we're very focused on Europe. We think the, the growth or the story about the lithium ion battery will be about Europe in the coming decades. Thanks, Iggy. Uh, we also have an exciting project. My name is Joel Crane. I'm Investor Relations Manager with Cobalt Blue. We're developing the Broken Hill Cobalt Project just outside of Co uh, Broken Hill in Western New South Wales, Australia. Um, and this uh, project is unique in the sense that it is a pure cobalt uh, mine, as opposed to in, in what cobalt is usually come, comes with in association with copper and nickel. We're going to produce around three and a half thousand tons of cobalt uh, per annum, which is about 2% of market. So a fairly chunky sized mine in the global scheme of things. We're also quite focused on Europe, given um, the same dynamic. We see the same dynamics that Iggy uh, pointed out, that it's really in the forefront of lithium ion batteries. And we're getting the most traction with auto companies there who are very keen to secure um, ethical and sustainable sources of cobalt, obviously a key component of the cathode in electric vehicle batteries. Well, you mentioned the, uh, the process that uh Cobalt doesn't come with nickel, and and what what is the deposit? So deposit is a sulfide um, um, pyrite, uh, which is quite unique, at least in the sense of what is normally mined, particularly in Australia. Um, it has pyrite being fool's gold, um, it's heavy iron content, relatively low minerals content. But we have a process. Our team of experts, technical experts. Um, have this particular uh, experience of of being able to liberate minerals from pyrite resources. Okay, and, and so guys, so thanks very much for um, the, the introduction to your companies. Um, obviously, both companies have been in, on here um, previously. We'll put links below so you can sort of dig into it a little bit deeper. But the, the reason I wanted to get you guys together today was trying to understand what's happening with this European ecosystem, which you're both managed to insert yourselves into. Um, you guys have had you guys had choices. This Australian uh, uh, companies have got choices. You know, Asia is is clamoring for what you've got. So is the US. So is Europe. So why why pick Europe? I and mean, what support are you seeing there from either OEMs, battery manufacturers, or indeed the kind of um, the you know European sort of taxonomy of uh, battery metals? I mean, Iggy, why why, why Europe? Well, I guess it's fair to say that the uh, lithium-ion battery story has been a, uh, about Japan, Korea and uh, China. Uh, but we, we believe that will shift uh, quite dramatically to Europe and all driven from EU regulations. And I'm not sure whether you're aware, but all car manufacturers need to achieve an average of below 95 grams of CO2 per kilometer for all the cars they manufacture. So, and that's the reason why diesel cars are, are virtually are being phased out of Europe. Uh, and in order to meet that criteria, um, most of their fleets have now uh, have to be electric vehicles. So 
companies like Volkswagen, BMW, Jaguar, and so on, they've announced that by 2030 or by 2035, they will go all electric. So you won't have an opportunity to buy a, com a combustible engine car in Europe uh, from that point onwards. And, and the reason that they're, they're moving towards that is they potentially can get fined 2,000 euros for every car they sell uh, that if they don't meet that overall standard. So there is a big incentive to actually move to electric vehicles. And, and what we see is there's some 600 uh, gigawatts of uh, battery capacity being announced uh, to, to meet that demand. Companies like CATL, Tesla, uh, Samsung, etc. And so our view is uh, we need to be uh, in Europe because Europe uh, has very uh, plainly said they want all their raw materials to be sourced within Europe. They want to be less reliant on Asia for all that raw materials. Joel? Yeah, we see very similar dynamics. It's obviously the legislation that's really led to um, a much more dynamic market in Europe. And that just leads to the actual producers of these um, EVs being um, a bit more progressive, I'd say, than, than other major markets around the world. So, um, and in, in our case, raw materials, it's a new sector to auto companies. They've never really had to think about this before. They relied on, um, you know, from the battery point of view, the battery makers just, just to do this. But now because the world is, is asking for um, either uh, materials that are sourced um, domestically or as from uh, close to distance as possible, but also from ethical sources. So um, in cobalt's particular example, there's not a whole lot of cobalt in Europe and will never be able to service the entire auto industry. So they're going to have to look elsewhere. Um, and they certainly want to do that. Uh, they want to source from places that aren't problematic. And, and cobalt is a quite problematic uh, mineral in that uh, most places that it's sourced um, have, have had, uh, I guess, ethical issues in the past, um, namely things like child labor and and, um, and not very well environmentally sourced material. So that's where we provide a, an alternative. Um, we will be ethically in source. And, and given that we're a new mine, we'll obviously have the most the highest environmental standards. And that really attracts those European customers. They're, um, they're you know, getting in touch with us. We, we, we don't have to do much reaching out these days. They're coming to us and they wanna discuss how do we get these type of tons um, as soon as we can. Yeah, if I can add to that, Joel, uh, the, the importance of uh, being green. Uh, and, you know, our project has been certified as a, a green project uh, out of uh, Norway with a group called Cicero. Uh, and it's, that's actually very important for uh, a supply chain in Europe. Uh, all our power supply will be from renewable energy. Uh, and because of the green accreditation, as you say, um, a lot of the downstream customers and also investors are looking for that uh, green credentials. But, but here's absolutely. Sorry, if I may, because it's bursting to ask this question. So you, you kind of like to say, well, here's here's this kind of eco, European ecosystem. Green credentials are important to us, and we're you know people want to do things the right way. 
But the other the other side of that coin is that you guys have an obligation to your shareholders to get the best financial deal possible. So is Europe incentivizing you financially in terms of making it easy to um, get get finance, get access to capital, um, whether it be um, whether they can re- reduce tariffs or any other kind of incentive? Um, to say, well, come here rather than go to Asia, which would be just as easy for you. I mean, how do, how do, you, how do you balance that decision-making, Eggy? Yeah, so we are situated uh, on the east part of Germany and the um, prices of uh, labor and utilities are very competitive. Uh, so uh, there, there is no point in actually building this plant in Asia because the source of the materials, we buy graphite, and we buy silicon from the market. And um, there's no point buying that and then shipping that uh, finished product from Asia to to Germany. Essentially, we buy graphite from a a European graphite producer, and we buy silicon from a European silicon producer. It's shipped into East Germany. We do the the magic and the coating, and and we produce silumina anode, which then supplied within Germany. So it's actually the perfect spot uh, when you don't need a deposit. I'm sure Joel has a different problem because there's not a lot of cobalt deposits in Europe. So you have to start uh, in in wherever it is. So go on, Joel, answer that one because your your cobalt's coming all the way from Australia. So why does it make sense for you to be in Europe? Well, it's really those incentives that Iggy touched on in his his remarks earlier that um, by 20... 30, 35, a number of different mandates, both from um, Europe legislation itself, but also self-enforced by the automakers uh, themselves. Um, So they need to source uh, green ethical material by certain dates. And we, you know, we will fall under that. Yes, we will be shipping all the way from Australia. So there is, um, you know, with with mining, there's always going to have a component of of um, carbon emissions and this sort of thing with, with the transportation or scope three, um, as, as it's also known in reporting. Um, but I guess it's given that there aren't enough cobalt deposits in Europe, um, it's going to have to come from somewhere. And we sit at the top of the list of best choices in that sense. So it's really that it's the European legislation and the mandates imposed by the automakers themselves to, to get as green as they possibly can. Right, but so so far what I'm hearing from, from both of you is it, it's the right thing to do. Um, in your case, what, why move graphite or silicon molecules further than they need to be transported? And for the end user, it's it's good news. But what, I want to come back to your bottom line. What, you know, what are the things which make it good for your shareholders, for your company in terms of incentives out there and things that will affect your bottom line um, what's Europe giving you? What can Europe give you? Yeah. So as I mentioned, the um, the competitive price structure. Uh, we also will access grants that are available. Um, much like um, the EU are very focused. Uh, now, to just give you an example, uh, in the area that we proposed to build the plant uh, was a lignite of, uh, power facility. And so the EU have allocated allocated billions of dollars to shut down the lignite industry, which is a it's a poor uh, form of coal virtually. 
and and so there's a lot of money sw uh, swirling around um, to support um, industries that will uh, um, can be built within the state uh, and and to drive the uh, the electric vehicle or the uh, renewable energy um, direction. So that's what we see as a very positive um, benefit. We we have already um, been allocated some grants, uh, and we are we will be looking to uh, access more grants uh, by having the plant in uh, in Europe. Right. Okay. And and I guess for you, Joel, um, same same question. Um, so, and I pre appreciate that conversation about lignite, Joel. Um, it's like uh, Iggy, brown coal, very inefficient and, you know, very, very dirty. So, um, I can see why they want to replace that. But Joel, for you, same, same question, because, you know, what the end user benefit is, is, is interesting. And you've got to, we've all got to follow ESG, uh, compliance and guidelines and all of the other things which, um, the, the EU wants to see in place. But again, you too have responsibility, um, to your shareholders. So what, what are, what's the benefits to your company in being in Europe? Well, being a commodity that's priced in US dollars, um, it doesn't really matter where you sell. The only difference is, of course, is the freight cost and then the carbon components of that freight. Given that cobalt is a very high value product, um, it's shipping it is, is uh, the distances are, are obviously a lot less of an issue than if it's something like a, a big bulk product like iron ore or something. Um, but for us to, um, there, as discussed before, there's so much progression happening in the European auto and battery making industry. It's good to be a part of that. For example, um, Volvo and Norval um, are teaming up to build um, a battery um, producing area in Sweden next to the Volvo factory. So in that sense, yes, we ship the cobalt there, but then the battery and the car um, manufacturers are right next to each other. So you sort of, you're getting that domestic um, input or, or advantage. Um, and, and just being part of that type of um, leading edge technology uh, and being involved with some of these companies that are there, um, that's what I think um, our shareholders are, will be very pleased to, to be a part of. Right, but for, for, for you, Joel, um, you know, we, we've we've discussed in the past with, with with you and also with Joe separately about the kind of opaque nature of the pricing of of cobalt in this market, and I I, I buy your um, thought that you know the these car manufacturers want ethically sourced cobalt for sure, um, but likewise. We've also had conversations about cobalt being designed out of some battery use cases. So how, how does all of the above affect your ability to kind of set pricing? Uh, and, and do you see this, this specifically the cobalt market, given the, what the EV sector is doing, being able to charge a premium for this ethically sourced cobalt? Well, as, as, a, as a miner, very difficult to, to have too much um, influence of the actual price when it's done on an index basis, like like cobalt is done. However, um, I'm glad you brought up the green premium. This is a question we get in virtually any meeting that we have. Will there be a premium market for this particular commodity? Um, and our answer is, I certainly think there will be. Um, there already are premium markets in in the more um, liquid commodities, such as copper and aluminium, where the LME is is designing premium um, green premium um, contracts for those ones. And I, just, I just think that there'll be a time very soon when customers, people at car lots will be asking, where was this, uh, where were the mater raw materials for this product sourced? 
and you'll be able to say, um, and you'll point to a, a list saying it's, it's come from these sort of areas. And in order to have that privilege of, of being a um, responsibly sourced area, you're going to have to pay a premium for that product, particularly because it's in such high demand. So it's that tension uh, within um, the producers, uh, the, um, the consumers, and their customers that is going to create this green premium that um, will be at the top of the list. Of. Right, and, and Iggy, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by what your answer is going to be because you know you're, you're not a you're not selling a commodity. You're, you're a chemicals company. You're selling a technology which has super enhanced benefits for uh, automotive uh, manufacturers. How on earth do you work out what you charge for your project uh, product? Yeah. So uh, essentially, what we're doing is we're adding some. Uh, super active materials to graphite. And so if you can produce a graphite powder that is now double the energy capacity, uh, the market has said that they're prepared to pay the same energy unit as graphite. So what that means is that if you can produce a super graphite that has double the energy unit, uh, they're prepared to pay double the price, but essentially the unit price is actually the same per energy unit. So we have some uh, targets for pricing. Uh, the question of whether it's uh, you get a premium for being green, I think I think uh, it makes you competitive and um, products that don't have that green tag are going to be under pressure. So you might not get a premium, but I think you, you, you will capture the market, particularly in Europe, and that's what is required. So if you're not green enough, you, you're not going to be in Europe. That's simply the answer. <laughs> okay, so you, uh, okay, Joel, here's one for you as an as an, as an ex banker, right? Um, we investors sitting outside, looking looking at the market at the moment, just going, what on earth's going on? They, everything's on fire, um, it, not in a good way. It, stock is being hammered across the board. It doesn't matter what what sector and what vertical you're in, it's getting hammered at the moment. People are nervous. It's risk off, cash in hand. Um, waiting for something meaningful to change. With the conversations you're having with battery manufacturers, automotive manufacturers, and even some of your financial contacts, how are they? How are they viewing this? Are they pausing for thought? No, that is the short answer. Um, they are medium to long-term focused, meaning the next five to ten years, and they are scared. Um, they they are doing the work. You know, auto companies are hiring. Um, but they're not scared about the market, Joel. What are, what are they scared of? They're scared of lack of supply. Uh, they are afraid that there's not going to be enough, at least in the material that they want to get. So they are, um, you know, we're sitting in these meetings with procurement uh, managers saying, and, and they're quite honest and they're frank, they're saying, look, by 2024, 26, we are out of contract and we don't know where we're getting our next tons from. Uh, so uh, in that sense, a sell-off like this is, is certainly scary, also seasonal, um, but uh, in the medium term, uh, we won't even um, we won't even shake the tree for these guys. They're, they're very concerned about securing uh, the next decade's worth of tons. Okay, so the the, the market is kind of uh, is, a, is a temporary thing for them. They've got bigger concerns about how this pipeline of of, of um, commodity supply actually you know hit, hits their doorstep. I mean, Iggy, for you. You're in a disruptive technology, and the trouble with disruptive technologies is there's always another one coming up behind, right? So, what what are your potential customers nervous about? What are you nervous about? And is it the market? 
Yeah, so just uh, to the question about the markets, I mean, um, you know, I, 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 I knew this was coming. I mean, when, when uh, we had periods of time when government were printing money and the interest rates was close to negative in Europe, um, you know, this has got to come back at some stage. So for companies like us, unless you are trying to raise money and you've run out of money, uh, yes, this will impact on 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 you. But uh, you know, we we're cashed up. We've got 11 million. We've got enough money to uh, we purchased the land in Germany. We've got now enough money to commence the pilot plant construction. So we're committed to uh, to get the pilot plant up and running. And the reason for that is to get commercial samples to get it to our customer. And I'm sure uh, Joel will have the same thing. The end customer wants samples so that they can go through their qualification process. And we know when uh, the customer is a automaker, the qualification process is very intense and lengthy. So the sooner you can get that process underway, uh, and it could be, uh, while you actually uh, raise the money for your project and construct that project, you could run that qualification process uh, in tandem rather than finish the qualification and then start your project because they will want more and more samples as you go along. So uh, Joe, Joe's right, exactly. Uh, if it's a material that they want, uh, they're very interested in it. What, whatever the market's doing is it's whatever the market's doing. Uh, they they want to get their next factory up. They want to get their next uh, battery uh, factory up and so on. That's what they focus on. Uh, whatever the market doing doesn't impact on them. I mean, they're pretty well cashed up. So, But you, you think on that basis that, you know, um, anyone involved with the, the, the battery thematics should be immune to market conditions, but they're, they're clearly not um, because... Well, certainly the public companies anyway. Um, you know, pe pe people are nervous. Um, but, sorry, I, I just want to push you on this point. Disruptive technologies are great because they, they come in and they usurp or, you know, um, become, the, become a, the dominant thing for a while, right? You've got competition coming from, you know, other, other technologies doing, trying to, trying to deliver what, what, what you're doing here. And then there'll, there'll be an onus on you at some point to kind of move to the, to the next level. In terms of the R and D component, are you going to see much support from the OEMs or is that you have to stand on your own? I mean, how much of this is partnership, um, going forward for you? Yeah. So the partnership is very important. So we've got, uh, offtake contracts, uh, supply offtake contracts with, uh, SGL Carbon and Ferroglobe. We've got two NDAs with uh, German automakers and we've got an NDA with a European battery company. So that chain is very important. Um, and, and so the, the other question is uh, being a disruptive technology and, and leading the way. The key is to be uh, quick to market. And uh, what, what a lot of other companies do, they tend to focus a lot on research, research, research looking for somebody that can take that technology and then commercialize it. And that's a very long process. What we're good at is actually commercializing the technology while we develop the technology. So uh, whilst we've got success in the laboratory, we haven't waited uh, to get uh, more success. We've already uh, bought the, the land in Germany. We've started the, uh, we completed a pre-feasibility study. And we've also now allocated 
funds to start to build a pilot plant. Now, that's the key to getting to market uh, quickly and establishing um, your footprint in the market. Uh, yes, you're right, you're always under pressure for new technologies. And once you're up and running, you will develop new technologies around the existing technologies you have. So um, that's really the key to it. Okay. So, look, Joe, we, we, we've talked, he's been quite um, clear and sort of honest about, you know, some of the pressures that he'll, you know, he thinks are bad, um, you know, on at board meetings, no doubt, and 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 all in fact, every waking hour, I expect, I expect Iggy. Um, but for you guys, your issue is kind of, I guess, a little bit of scale. You've got you kind of got a, a, a decent project there in Australia, but you could sell all of this tomorrow. So how do you go about taking advantage of that situation? Because once you're in with the OEMs, you prove that you can deliver technically and that you're a competent management team. It's a little bit easier for the on, on, for the next step if you can deliver more products. So how do you, how do you take advantage of that? Uh, well, that's a that's a good question that um, you know we we are uh, as you mentioned are grappling with, and and we're in a very similar stage, maybe slightly more um, down the road uh, as Ziggy in the sense that we are um, now producing at least from next week we're producing our sample product and sending it out to our commercial partners for qualification. And and Ziggy's exactly right. We're we're the best position to be in is one where um, you can be developing this um, and, and commercializing it while qualification is, is going on. That's exactly what's going to be happening for us over the next year. Um, and from what we understand, qualification programs um, have become much tighter in timelines where it was sort of um, 18 to 24 months in the past. It's now closer to sort of six to 12 um, simply because of this rush. Uh, but for us, yeah, like, look, we only... <laughs> Um, our, our project is big enough in scale. Uh, it's not like we can simply double it. Um, so for us, it's really what is the sort of next stage because we do have this technology um, to to produce um, these products from uh, from uh, I guess mineral deposits that have been perhaps overlooked or even could come from waste products like um, like tailing stamps. Some of the tailing stamps around Australia have higher grade cobalt. Um, than we do in our in our resource. Uh, so the next stage for us is to think about how to um, get that type of stuff to market. And, and that'll fit in really well with Europe. Uh, one of the main uh, legislative components about batteries is by, I'll probably get the, the name, or the, sorry, the dates and the numbers wrong, but it's something like by 2028, or it might be 32, 14% um, of, of the components of battery must come from recycled material. Um, and so for us, being able to go through and grab some of other mines' waste will likely um, qualify under that program. So um, there is large incentive for us to, to continue to develop beyond just the, uh, the one mine that we're um, developing now. So Iggy, you, you raise an interesting point there. You know, most companies follow a well-trodden path and you know, and, and, and process, and it's kind of almost like um, we've always done it this way, so we will continue to do it this way. You've had to think a little bit dif differently about how you approach the market, how you insert yourself into the market, and how you get those doors opened. Because you know, first mover advantage is is essential. Um, how, how do you see things progressing for your company over the next 12 months? And, and mar market conditions aside, because I think what we're saying is there's a massive ecosystem baying for, well, desperate to uh, secure um, supply for the next five, 10 years. So what does it look like for your company going forward? Yeah, good good question. Um, the 
the analogy of where the uh, products uh, eventually end up, you, you need to have a vision of where the industry is going to. And I'll give you an example. I was from the lithium industry. I was the, one of the founding managing directors of Galaxy Resources. And we built the Mount Kaplan operation and the lithium carbonate plant in China. And this was uh, maybe about 15 years ago. And when we designed the plant in China for the lithium carbonate, I had the vision that when this goes into batteries, they will require a higher grade than what's currently available. And, and in lithium carbonate, it was about 99.5%. And everyone said, you know, uh, the battery industry will just need 99.5%. And I thought, no, because if any impurity you introduce to the battery will impact on the life of the battery. So what we need to do is design a plan to make 99.9% purity that will then be required for the industry. At the time, the industry didn't even realize that they would require that, but it's logical sense. <laughs> if you add more impurities to the battery, it will reduce the life of the battery. So we built this operation that was 99.9%. At the time, people said it wasn't required, but in the long run, it looked, uh, it, it is now one of the top quality materials in the world, which all the top manufacturers are after. And so if you can see where the industry is moving to and get your product um, to, to meet that, you're in a great position. And, uh, and the green part is just one of those uh, elements. That, 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 that's really interesting. That's fascinating. Um, mm, really fascinating. Um, Joel, listening to what Iggy's saying there, I mean, what, what are the conversations going on for you about what, what the next 12, 18 months, and quite frankly, five years looks like? If you've got customers looking at five and 10-year horizons, don't you have to look at your company differently? Are you a cobalt company or is there more to it? No, that's, that's a very good question. In, in the near term, we're just very focused on finishing up our, um, our demonstration plant and, and qualification, um, getting commercial partner and finishing up the DFS and getting the funding and off we go. But beyond that, no, certainly we want to be part of, in particular, the emergence of an Australian uh, critical minerals and hopefully even a battery industry. Australia has all the key components of batteries, whether it comes from um, you know, the nickel, the cobalt, the manganese, it's all here. Um, and most of it's um, produced in a form of concentrate and shipped to China. What if we uh, created a, uh, an industrial hub somewhere like Western Australia where most of these minerals are? Uh, we could certainly be um, a key part in that. And because we have technology to build um, refineries to make sulfate from, from cobalt or other uh, minerals. So we are, um, and we're actually in conversations with uh, with the uh, Western Australian government and the um, uh, future batteries industry who are who are thinking about this. This future batteries industry is already making a, a, a what they call an indigenous Australian battery. We're providing the cobalt for that. Um, and so we would just like to uh, continue to be a part of that and, and help develop what could be uh, a very interesting industry for Australia. Um, is there, uh, what are the conversations are there? Because you're right, it seems like Australia kind of exports all of the commodities needed to build lots of different things from, from uh, steel, um, coal, which we maybe are not allowed to talk about these days, um, and, and all the kind of battery um, uh, metals as well. Are there, are there kind of bigger conversations at government or state level around that? Is there anyone? Is that moving forward in any way, shape, or form? I mean, either Absolutely. of you. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll let Iggy respond after me. But uh, certainly, you know, the Critical Minerals Initiative uh, by the federal government that's um, handing out all sorts of grants and, and loans. Uh, we 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 are shipping to one of those grants and and um, potentially one of those loans in the future. Um, that they really want to get these um, industries up and running. And we're in lots of bilateral conversations with key um, uh, uh, external partners, such as South Korea, uh, the United States, and, and Europe, who are interested in, in doing the you know, same thing. So they, they're providing grants in forms of loans as well um, to key um, Australian companies. Um, there's two that just received monies from the U.S., uh, Linus and um, Syrah, graphite, and um, rare earth producers who, who are building facilities in the United States. So it's it's a global issue, um, and there's there's money and initiative behind it, and, and we expect to be a part of that in the future. I totally agree, and uh, it's good to see the Australian government moving uh, down that line. Uh, when you are competing globally, uh, and and you know we've got a high purity alumina plant that we picked uh, Malaysia to build. Uh, and um, the reason we pick Malaysia because it's op op operating costs, uh, and also that we get a five to ten, ten year tax free from the the government. So we don't pay any corporate tax for five to ten years. And uh, when you're trying to make a decision, as you say, uh, on behalf of your shareholders, uh, that is a very attractive incentive. So they, uh, my view is the Australian government is moving in the right way, but they they really need to push much, much harder. Um, when you've got countries like that competing, build your plant here and we'll give you 10 years tax-free. Well, that uh, makes it a uh, pretty easy decision. It does indeed. Well, gentlemen, I'm, 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 let's wrap it up. That, that's been a properly fascinating conversation um, today. Um, so I'd say to listeners, viewers of this one, if you want to look at two companies who've looked at the market slightly differently um, and uh, gone, gone about it in a, in a, in a different way to, to their advantage and to the shareholders' advantage, um, please do um, have a look at uh, uh, Cobalt Blue and also Altec Chemicals, um, two companies we enjoy speaking to on a regular basis. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Nice, nice to see you again. All the best.